Welcome to our Sunday School Hour at Graceway Baptist Church. I appreciate you tuning in. We are doing our Sunday School lesson for November 21st of 2021 and uh, answering the question, what is baptism? And this is, of course, in the name of our church, Baptists, the baptizers is what that literally means. And um, this is near and dear to our heart because our movement goes back um, to the 1600s where we were identified as Baptist in England particularly. And um, our uh, spiritual ancestors actually took issue with the Church of England uh, over this issue about baptism, the mode of baptism and the candidates for baptism. And they paid dearly for it. Some were burned at the stake and um, other things imprisoned and other things like that. And you might wonder, why would they make such a big deal out of this? And uh, that's a little of what we're talking about today. It's a, in my mind, it's a very clear issue about what baptism is and why we baptize and who is a candidate for baptism. And for our forefathers, we might look at that and go, you know, what's the big deal? Why'd they die over this? Well, to go against the baptism of the Church of England, you have to remember that the head of the church is the king or queen of England. They don't, uh, when they broke away from the Roman Catholic Church under Henry VIII, they no longer have the Pope as their spiritual and religious authority, but it's um, the king or the queen. Whoever's reigning there, they are the head of the church. And the way that uh, this was taken back in those days was to rebaptize somebody, the uh, earliest Baptists, what they did is they read the scripture and they noticed that only believers were baptized. And so then they were rebaptized as professing Christians or credo baptism, we call it. And uh, that was to uh, taken as treasonous because it renounced the baptism that the king authorized. Now you know why Baptists have also been, since the beginning of the movement, for the separation of church and state. We want to have a free church and a free state so you don't get entangled in all of those things. And by the way, that's also why the King James Version of the Bible and subsequent ones, the word baptism is a Greek word that actually should be translated the immersers. And uh, yet, if you do that, then boy, you get into real trouble with the king. So they just took the Greek word and they transliterated it instead of translating it and made the word baptize out of baptizo and uh, try to avoid further uh, conflict. Now, we have to remember and understand this is not necessarily a uh, point of contention between other gospel-believing and gospel-preaching denominations unless they tried to tie baptism in with salvation, saying that you have to be baptized to be saved or that baptism conveys some type of grace. And therefore we can disagree with a gospel preaching Presbyterian about this issue of baptism, and yet we can still partner together in the gospel. That's all we're saying about that. But we ought to be firm in our belief as believers and as a church, not just on what Baptists say about this, but we need to look and be fair and honest and see 
what the Bible has to say about it, and that is, of course, the bottom line and the most important thing. Now, the catechism uh, gives us the answer. Baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, cleansing us from sin and commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. Um, I basically agree with that, but um, I am a little bit concerned with the idea that um, it, it talks about our washing and uses the word cleansing, but they make it to where it is palatable when they say it signifies and seals our adoption into, the, into Christ and our cleansing from sin. It doesn't actually say that the baptism does that, but it signifies. Notice the word signify and has, signify has the word sign in it. We might uh, think of it better, it signifies our cleansing and adoption into Christ. Well, no argument there, because that's what we as Baptists believe, that the ordinances are indeed symbols, pictures, memorials of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And so uh, uh, when I read that carefully, as I would ask you to, then I don't see any conflict with what they say and what we believe. I might have worded it just a little bit differently, but um, when I look at it carefully, this is, this is exactly what we believe, that it signifies it doesn't actually do it. It doesn't actually make us clean or anything like that. It gives a picture that we have been cleansed. Is that clear? In Acts 2.38, the Church of Christ says, uh, quoting Peter, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. It's all on how you interpret the word for. It's eis, E-I-S in the Greek. And without splitting hairs to be like, you know, Bill Clinton when he testified, well, that depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Um, don't mean to do that, but uh, it is valid to look at that verse and say, is that teaching us that baptism then is for in order to have the cleansing from sin, or is it uh, something else? And uh, we'll talk about that, I think, next week. But understand we as Baptists do not believe that baptism saves, neither is it necessary for salvation. Okay? That being said, it is an important doctrine, an important teaching, because in Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we can't ignore the command of Christ. So these are things we have to deal with. And it's amazing how uh, different people can read the same Bible and come up with different interpretations. And uh, let's understand this about Scripture, because I don't want you to walk away with the idea, well, anybody can make the Bible say anything that it wants. That's kind of true, but it's not true in uh, regard to what the Bible says. Okay, make, make sure we understand this. The Bible has only one meaning, only one meaning, and that's the intent of God that's expressed through the author. 
And so whenever we look at something, we have to say, what did the author intend to say? What was he saying when he wrote this? What was his intended meaning? And uh, that is what kind of makes it clear. And sometimes to go a little further, we, we can even go and say, and what did the audience understand it to mean when they heard it? We run way too quick to go, what do I think this means? What does this mean to me? What do I feel whenever I read it? Irrelevant. All of it's irrelevant. We need to know what the author intended. We run into the same things now. Somebody can send you a text message on your phone and you can completely misunderstand it because you read it with a different tone. You read it with a little bit different inflection. Maybe the punctuation is not all there in a text. Maybe there's an abbreviation and you get offended and up in arms about something that they didn't mean. And the key is to find out what did they mean when they sent you the text. That's what really matters. Well, the same thing is true with the scripture. And so I think the Bible makes it very, very clear about baptism. And um, let's talk about it just a little bit. Uh, number one, baptism, water baptism, let's make that clear because we want to differentiate that from spirit baptism, which happens at the point of salvation. Water baptism is after. So let's do this. Water baptism is our affirmation of unity. What am I saying whenever I submit to baptism? It's enough to say I'm just being obedient as a follower of Christ. But there's something about it that when we go into the water of baptism and we do it publicly and other people are watching and um, praying for us and affirming us as we do that, there's a sense to which I am saying, I am joining you and the saints, the believers of all the ages going back to the very early church and back to the Lord Jesus himself who was baptized. It's that unifying ordinance that we all go through. In fact, the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized convert unless, put an asterisk by that, unless it's impossible for the person to be baptized. The thief on the cross, for example, couldn't be baptized. Somebody on their deathbed, they get saved you know, 10 minutes before they die or a minute before they die. Obviously, they can't be baptized and they will go to heaven. But for those of us who can, we participate in this, not only for obedience, but identification and unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all the ages and our brothers and sisters in our local assembly. We're identifying with them. We are joining with them. And by the way, you shouldn't be a member of a church where you don't believe like the church believes. We are a body of gathered believers with like-minded faith. And uh, so if uh, you don't believe that, don't, don't come in and join. That's why I don't go and force my views on a Methodist church. I don't agree with them and I'm not a, a Methodist. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not an Episcopalian. I'm not, you know, those type of things. And so uh, this is affirmation of unity. And so when we have somebody come in from a church of another denomination who believes differently about baptism and basic doctrine and that kind of thing, we ask them to just affirm that they are joining us by submitting to water baptism. It doesn't mean that, you know, they weren't 
saved before or anything like that. It's just an affirmation of unity. First Corinthians 12, 13 says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so the idea that Paul is giving here is that the moment we were saved, all of us, all of us that are truly born again, were baptized into the Holy Spirit. Um, even on the idea of spirit baptism, do we get immersed into the Holy Spirit? And I think you could say yes. And is it also the spirit that immerses us into the body of Christ? And that certainly is true and seems to be what Paul is saying here. And so uh, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the true church, the church universal. Some people say some people don't like that term, but um, we are unified with the body of Christ, with those who have gone on before us and are already in heaven. And we identify with them and baptized into that same universal body. But we also need to understand that this water baptism is what brings us into the local body as well. Now, one of the things in our culture and because of our freedoms, we have kind of downgraded the idea of baptism. If you were living in the day of the Apostle Paul, to go into a river or a creek and to be immersed in baptism and to confess Jesus as Lord was considered subversive by the Roman Empire. In fact, to be baptized was an act of treason against Caesar. And so to be baptized meant a, more than just going through a church ritual or becoming a member of a church. It was kind of a life or death type thing. And we've seen that in other countries as well. And so uh, to, this idea of, of water baptism is important because it's kind of like putting on the uniform as a soldier of Christ. We're identifying with him, not just in the mystical sense of those who have gone on before in the church of all of the ages. Uh, always remember that in the New Testament, about 95 plus percent of the times when the word church is mentioned, it refers to a local body of believers. And it's a local body of baptized believers. And our baptism is our affirmation to the people that are watching that we indeed are committed followers of Christ. Now, again, in Paul's day, that meant life or death. And so that was a big step. And that was the affirmation that they made. Well, we're doing the same thing under greatly different uh, circumstances, of course. And it's our testimony that we have received the gospel and that we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not placing our faith in the church. We're not placing our faith in some um, ritual of the church. We're not placing our faith in some action of the church. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone for our salvation. And so when we stand in the waters of baptism, then we stand there saying that we are proclaiming the gospel and our faith in the gospel in Jesus Christ who died and was buried and uh, was raised from the dead. And indeed, that is what happened to us spiritually. So this is a, an affirmation of unity with the church, with other believers. And so... Um, 
That's one of the reasons that we do it. It's not the only reason, but it's one of them. Secondly, water baptism identifies us as Christ followers. Um, to refuse to be baptized then is a sin. If you can't be baptized, again, the thief on the cross or a deathbed conversion, different matter. It's when you had the capability, you had the opportunity, and you refused to do it, then that would be a sin. And it would also bring into question whether you truly are born again or not. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, think about this. This is Jesus. Jesus didn't have to be saved. And Jesus was not a follower of anyone. He's the founder, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the head of the church. And what he did was give us an example that we should follow. And then, of course, he commands it in the Great Commission. Now, one of the things that we are known for as Baptists is the fact that we don't sprinkle. And we don't sprinkle babies and we don't baptize. We don't immerse babies either. And uh, we require that you make a Confession of your faith before you are baptized. I have trusted Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Okay? And we want you to give a good testimony of that, that your salvation is indeed by grace, through faith, in Christ, that you understand sin, that you understand the reason for Jesus dying on the cross. This is why we make a huge mistake we, I don't mean our particular church, but we as a church and a denomination even in general of saying things to Bible school kids. Any of you want to go to heaven when you die? And of course, all of them nearly are going to raise their hand. Okay, well then pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. And they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand sin. They don't understand the sacrifice of Christ. And um, I'm not saying that they can't, I'm just saying that many of them don't. And that's why we see so many conversions of people later on after they, uh, you know, get older. They may be 16, 17, 18. In fact, most people are saved well over 90% before their 18th uh, year. But some of us are a little slower like I was. And um, it, it's the kind of thing to where we say, We've got to believe in the gospel, not just some little formula, not just something that somebody tells us, and not to just repeat some sort of, I don't mean to be irreverent, but magic prayer that's going to get us into the kingdom. I think you follow me and understand this is something that is for believers. And you notice that when Jesus was baptized, these wonderful things that were happened happening, but notice that he came up out of the water, came up out of the water. No need to do that if you're just sprinkling somebody or pouring a little water over their head. This was, of course, immersion. And there are other places that uh, speak of this as well. And uh, coming up out of the water, the word baptize is from the Greek, Greek word baptizo, which we've talked about before which literally means to 
immerse. It was not a religious term in the Greek. It was a common word. And anybody who spoke Greek might use it when they're washing their dishes. We are baptizing the dishes, they might say. We're the ones that made that into a religious word. And, um, but originally it really wasn't. It was just a descriptive word. And so when Jesus was put into the water, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was immersed by John the Baptist. And we are identifying ourselves, not only as we said before, with all of the believers of all of the ages, but we are identifying with Christ himself because Christ was baptized. We want to be like Jesus and we want to follow his example. And interestingly enough, when you read that passage, uh, those who deny the Trinity have real problems with that passage because there's Jesus, God the Son, being baptized. There's the Holy Spirit coming upon him like a dove. And then at the same time, the voice of the Father is speaking, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet uh, they're separate and yet they're co-equal in their nature and attributes. That makes my brain hurt. Thirdly, water baptism is our profession of faith. This is the way we say what it is that we believe and why we believe. Again, just another reason all these kind of overlap why we don't baptize babies. Babies do not have faith and cannot profess faith in Jesus Christ. We believe uh, that's called pedo-baptism, baptism of infants or children. And uh, they see that as kind of marking them off like the Old Testament ritual of circumcision as being a part of the covenant. But the New Testament doesn't really give us any indication about that at all or any command about that at all or even any example about that at all. Um, occasionally you will hear people who baptize babies say, well, it says... If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved and your house. And so they say but that must have included their house, must have included children and in infants. So go ahead and baptize all of them and mark them off for the covenant. But um, that's, a, that's a real stretch in my opinion. So when we think about making a profession of faith, what are we saying when the candidate comes into the water the candidate, he or she is saying, I am saved. I have put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ as the only and the full, complete sacrifice for my sins. Think about Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized. I think that's the proper pattern. You can't make an, that fit for an infant or a small child. You can't make that fit for somebody who doesn't believe, but they just want to go through the, the ritual. I was watching a show not too long ago, and there was uh, a guy and his wife, they were having a baby, and they really were not very keen on having the baby baptized. They were Roman Catholics. And the brother-in-law to the main character on the show said, well, what are you going to do about the child's original sin? You want to get rid of that original sin for the child. Isn't that interesting? And so they think that because you get with a priest and you sprinkle 
water on the baby's head and christen them. That's where that comes from. And name them at that point. Give them a Christian name. They already have a last name, but the first name, uh, this goes way, way back, was called the Christian name given at their christening, has the word Christ in it. And the idea is that this child needs to grow in faith later on. But for right now, we're just making sure they go to heaven when they die because their original sin has been taken care of. Okay. I scratch my head and I go chapter, verse, book. Where, where would you find anything like that at all? No, baptism was for those who received the word and then they were baptized. And I don't believe that was just a one-time thing for that particular situation. And now we change it and baptize our babies. It is for those who receive the word. And then when you think about Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and notice what he says first, make disciples of all nations, and then you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then because they're believers, what do you do? You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he tells us, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So it it seems that the pattern in the scripture is always to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not that the Bible stories and Bible principles and all of those things are only for believers. We as parents are even commanded to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but that doesn't make them saved. And we don't baptize them to get rid of original sin or to put them in the church or under the covenant because even church membership is only for those who have been saved. And so then the Bible tells us that we go and we make disciples. You can't become a disciple of Christ until you were a follower of Christ. And that means that you repent of your sins. That's a missing word nowadays, isn't it? You believe and receive the gospel. Jesus is the full payment and the only payment for your sin. He's the only way to heaven, the only way to the Father. And you surrender to him as Lord. Then you submit yourself to water baptism. And that is your profession of your faith. I will die for this. This is lifelong. This is what I believe and am committing my life to. And then as a part of a church, what are you taught? all the things that Christ has commanded you. You make disciples of them. And knowing that you do this in the presence of Christ, with the power of Christ, and how long is this good for to the end of the age? Now, that is why the Great Commission was not simply for Peter, James, and John, and those who were watching. Some people say, that was just given to the disciples. Well, then why did he say he would be with them until the end of the age? They were going to die. They're not here now. They're not going to survive to the end of the age. That is telling us this is a perpetual commandment. This is the way we are supposed to still be living now, and we're to take it as serious as did the apostles. So baptism is for believers, receiving the word, becoming a disciple. It's Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, That separates the God of the Bible from everyone else. Ask a Muslim. Those people that say, well, Allah is just a different name for the same God. Ask a Muslim about that. Is your God Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And uh, be careful for their reaction. Uh, This is what 
the Bible teaches theologically about God. And it is the beginning step of obedience. And it is, of course, empowered by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful, uh, blessed promise. He's always with us. Whenever you get ready to go witness, please don't pray. Oh, Lord, be with us as we do this. He's already with you. He's promised to be with you. And he's especially promised that he would be with you when you're carrying out the Great Commission. And number four, lastly, water baptism brings us into the church. I should have put there the local church. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Did you know they had church members even back in the book of Acts? They kept records about it. They counted the numbers. They dismissed people under church discipline from their fellowship. They even wrote letters of recommendation when somebody would move somewhere else. And so the church in Jerusalem would give that person a letter and they would present it to the church at Thessalonica saying that they were true believers and members of the church and we endorse them and put our stamp of approval on them. That's why Whenever you have someone join our church and Brother Chad presents them and says they come on promise of a letter, that means that they are signifying that uh, another local Baptist church is going to send a letter of recommendation to our church that we should receive them as members, that they are indeed saved, that they are faithful and that they uh, have been scripturally baptized, all of that type of thing. That comes from the letters that were written in the book of Acts, uh, recommending other churches to uh, uh, other believers to other churches, pardon me. And so this is all a part of it. Church membership is very important, and it was formalized even way back then. And membership is for saved people, as we've already said, and baptism is done uh, in the proper mode, immersion, for the proper candidate for a believer, and that adds them to the local church. And it's a testimony then, again, of unity with Christ, a testimony of being born again, and a testimony of being identified with other believers. And that's why, even though baptism doesn't save, it is very important, in fact, extremely important, that we do it and that we do it right, properly, because it conveys a message. You don't really see the gospel in sprinkling water on a baby's head, but you do see the gospel when you have somebody that can stand in the waters of the baptistry pool and say, <clears throat> I once was lost, now I'm saved, and I'm saved because of Jesus Christ, and I'm surrendering to him and committing my life to him as my Lord and Savior. And then they go under the water and come out of the water, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So make sure we understand that baptism doesn't save. We'll talk about that next week. It is, however, the first step in the Christian life. You're not going to go anywhere until that takes place. And the New Testament knows nothing of unbaptized Christians. And it's very important and uh, certainly should not be neglected. And um, if your baptism is not in order, maybe you've come to know the Lord after you were baptized and you think, well, what I did when I was a baby, that's, that's the same thing. It's baptism is baptism and it doesn't save, so it's no big deal. I would encourage you to look at this lesson 
and look through passages in the scripture and see that baptism comes after, not before, and maybe get your baptism in order. And of course, if you were baptized as a baby and they sprinkled you, then you need to be immersed in the pattern of the New Testament. And even if you were immersed, maybe even in a church of like faith and order, but you've come to know the Lord since then, it would be proper for you to submit to water baptism now after you are saved, since your other one was just a ritualistic dunking, I guess we might say, that has no significance at all. So I hope this is helpful. And I think probably most of you already know these things, but just in case, uh, I hope it has solidified it, clarified it just a little bit for you. And we also need to be sure that we are teaching these things to our children. This is not just something we've always done and our church has always done. There's a reason for it. And it is a biblical reason for that. And we need to disciple our children and new believers in these truths. Well, may the Lord bless you and thank you for your prayers. I, uh, as you uh, are listening to this, I'll be recovering from open heart surgery and uh, I've recorded these earlier. So I don't have a scar. I haven't been through anything yet because you might be thinking you're doing remarkably well. Yeah, that's true, but uh, haven't done it yet. But I do want to say thank you so much when you are listening to this for your prayers as I recover. I really, really do appreciate it. God bless you and thank you so much for your time.